If you have financial problems, we have financial answers. Hey, everybody, Pete the Planner here, CEO of Hey Money. We built this company specifically to help you solve your financial problems, to answer your financial questions without trying to sell you stuff along the way. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get amazing answers from amazing people for an amazing price of about $20 a month? Yeah, it's pretty great. That's why we created Hey Money. Go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com. And if you use the offer code radio, that's the word radio, you can get a discount because we like you more than everyone else. Callheymoney.com. Yeah, this is for the people living day to day, living check to check, make a little money, pay some bills, yo, we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. Typically, just shoot us an email, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And when you do that, I, we, maybe, will answer your question here on the radio platform. Joining me as often is the wizard of northern Indiana, the one, the only, Damien Dunn. Damien, hello. The wizard of northern Indiana? I didn't know what to say. Um, So, Dane, we're also streaming live. We stream this show live on Fridays, noon Eastern, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and um, uh, Snap Twitch. So, Dane, this week's first question uh, that we're going to cover involves pensions. The question is, I was organized before we started, and then, good day. Wow, Dame, it's someone who watches the show. Fantastic. Good day. Frequent podcast listener. Uh, since my uh, paper, yes, I still subscribe to a newspaper, no longer carries Pete's column. <clears throat> you and Damien do a great job. A question for my daughter. She is starting her first full-time job as a speech-language pathologist at a school. She will be having money automatically withdrawn from her teacher's pension union, but neither of us are convinced that will be enough for retirement. Illinois is in trouble, y'all. She has the ability to enroll in a 403B through her workplace. The question is, which would be better for her, a Roth IRA or contributing to the 403B? There's no employee contributions with the 403B. Maybe both make sense? She's just starting out, so her annual income will be around $50,000. Thanks. Tony, Dame, I'm going to let you start us out. What do you think? He's right, Tony. Uh, I wouldn't rely on the pension fund in the state of Illinois. You're right. It's uh, in a little bit of trouble. So what we have here is a choice to start funding retirement for yourself and not count on that. If you get anything from the pension, fantastic. The 403B, the problem that you could potentially run into there is that school districts, for whatever reason, still like to load up their options into annuities, which can be kind of expensive. So you want to make sure that you're not, uh, your daughter, I should say, is not contributing her money into a very expensive retirement products, especially since there's no employer match in this case. If that if they are annuities and they are expensive, she could always go the route of a IRA or Roth IRA that she owns herself. The problem there, though, Pete, is that the limits on how much you can contribute to those two products could get in the way of long-term success. What do you think? Well, I I agree. Let's back up a step and say, generally speaking, people get retirement income from three sources. There is uh, a pension if they have one. Only about 10% of people in the private sector have a pension today. 
that's down from 88% in 1975. So uh, not a lot of people have a pension. And for those that don't even know what a pension is, a pension is when you work for a place your entire life, you retire, and they keep paying you like you work there still until you're dead. And then they pay your significant other until they join you in post-retirement. So that is source number one of three. Now, source number two is social security. We're not going to spend any time talking about social security today, but some people feel like that is uh, not going to be there. I'm not really going to weigh in on that today. Then the third source is what you do on your own, which includes a 401k, or in this case, a 403b. Uh, also can include Roth IRAs and other assets. So Dame, if if we, for this person in particular, Tony's daughter, we shall call her primarily because that's her name. We can't depend on the pension because it, to depend on an Illinois teacher's pension just starting out seems quite foolish. Yeah. Uh, Social security, sure, whatever, but that doesn't necessarily affect what you do. The third step would be then to make sure you're putting the right amount of money away in something. And to your point, Dame, it's not as simple as to say, well, just put the money in the 403B because if those are really expensive fees because of the products within those 403Bs, you could find yourself in trouble. So a Roth IRA may be more important, but let's do some math here. Let's say, Dame, you, you ready for some math? He's looking for math stuff. Let's say this person, Tony's daughter, makes $40,000 a year and $6,000 is the limit. Do we want to use 40 or do we want to use the 50 that Tony gave us? Oh, wait, did he? <laughs> oh, sorry. It's awkward. Is that what she's making first year? Her annual income will be around $50,000. I'm about to quit. Okay. If she puts $6,000, I already did the math on my calculator. Uh, if she does $6,000 into a Roth IRA, that's 12%, which is exactly where we need her to be. True. That is true. I know. Of course, if she gets a raise, Dame, the 12% goes away. Well, what range do you usually like for people to put away of their total gross income uh, on an annual basis starting at the beginning of their career? What's your preference? Somewhere, honestly, around 10 to 12% at the beginning of the career. I, I want to see that grow as they go, uh, as they go. Wow. Uh, thanks, Chad. Uh, somewhere between 12 and 18 long-term target is what I'm shooting for. But at the beginning of your career, if you can manage to put in 10 to 12% for those first 10 years of your employment, you are going to be in fantastic shape by the time retirement rolls around for you. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I think a Roth IRA would be a good place to start. I just, uh, fees matter. If you can get a Roth IRA and the investments within those that Roth for, I don't know, if you're doing an index fund through you know certain entities, you could do it for maybe 25 basis points, maybe, mm -hmm. Damien? What do you sure. think? Sure. Maybe less? Uh, it, 25 basis points would be very achievable if you know where to look for uh, exchange-traded funds, broad market indices, you can make that happen. Uh, if you can't, I'm sure there are plenty of folks that, that could at least point you in the right direction. And you know what? I'm not going to discount the option or the uh, the potential that the 403B actually has something that's worth investing in there too. Of school districts, sometimes, especially if it's a bigger school district, they will have half a dozen different choices of, of things that you can put your 403B money into. So uh, have her go check uh, with, with HR and get all the options that are available to her and then just start digging through. Uh, and it's going to be kind of boring reading, but but you need to do it. It's, it's good homework.
And again, it's not that 403Bs are bad. It's just sometimes they can be filled with very expensive things. When we say 25 basis points or 25 BIPs, as annoying people in the financial world call it, does that annoy you, the BIPs? No, no, I, I, I'm buying to it. Um, it's one. It's a quarter of 1%. That's what 25 basis, 0.25. It's, it's a quarter of a percent. You could see investments within a 403B or any expensive investment go north of 2% or 200 bips. That's a lot. And Dame, in the end, after a 40-year teaching career or 35-year teaching career, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars difference. Yeah. When you're thinking earlier in your career, when you're just getting started, uh, gosh, you know, 2% on not much money. Well, gosh, that doesn't seem too bad. But after you've contributed, like you said, for 40 years and you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in that account, it is going to be real money real fast. So make sure you're paying attention to the fees. And if we go back to that quarter of a percent that we were talking about, Pete, if I throw a math question at you real quick, do you think you can do it? Yeah, go ahead. Quarter of a percent on $100. How much is that? Quarter percent. It's, uh, oh my gosh, now I'm nervous. 25 cents. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 25 oh cents God. for every $100 that you would have invested versus 2% on $100. That's $2. You can see the drastic difference if you were to multiply that out, that account balance out for hundreds of thousands of dollars, the difference that that would make in fees for you on an annual you, basis. You could do some pretty amazing FinTech TikTok videos with that sort of snappy math you just did for us, Dave. Thank you. All right, coming up after the break, we're going to debut for our radio listeners, our brand new theme song, all the way from Taiwan. Seven bucks, y'all, overnight too. It's a beautiful voice, beautiful voice. All that's coming up next here on the Pete the Planner Show. Thanks for listening because if you didn't, Actually, we'd still do the show. It really wouldn't matter. But thanks anyway. We'll be back after this. When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show Back on the Pete the Planner Show. As promised, uh, we have a new theme song. So I want you to hear the theme song. I want you to be part of the theme song. And if you have any financial questions, you can go to askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. This is Damien. This is the hot fires the kids call it. It's a bop. It's from Taiwan. It's from a woman. And she played a ukulele and made us a theme song. You ready to hear it? Yes. Here we go. When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show Just occurred to me, I may not have played that loud enough, but uh, that's neither here nor there. That's all right. Okay, Dame, back to the show. Uh, financial questions coming in. Here is one. Hello, Pete. I wanted to thank you for your article where you answered a gentleman who was having to drain his 401k. Most articles are very critical about doing this, but for some of us, we are seeing that is the only option. Unlike your reader, we have had to drain ours almost entirely about $70,000. We are in our early 40s, same, but my husband does still have a pension through his union, same. This is separate from his 401k. I saw you mentioned it will be critical to make good decisions over the next 20 years. I'm at a loss as to what to do to be sure we either A, pay back the money within three years. 
All right, so I'm going to actually stop the question and be, Dame, can you explain that? Because I think that's an important element that if people get lost on paying the money back within three years in relation to the CARES Act, let's start there because then I'll read the rest of the question. Yeah, so a provision of the CARES Act is that you could take a loan out of the 401k or a distribution and you have the opportunity to pay that back. And so as a distribution in this case, pay that back over three year time period. Uh, it's never been done before and it's uh, <laughs> like so many things, but it's a, an interesting way to try and make some money accessible to individuals without giving the the, the penalty that, that comes along with it, uh, but to keep the long-term financial health of those people still in the picture too. We were faced with so many different things uh, in a very short period of time this uh, this past spring that I feel like this was one of the provisions that might end up coming in real handy over the next couple of years for people that didn't have any other place to turn and they had to get money wherever they could. And they took money out of their retirement plan and things turned around and hopefully things settle out and get back to normal and they want to get that money back in there. And so they do. And so I'm hoping that the, this provision specifically is really utilized for the folks that were in a really bad spot and had to do some stuff that they thought they never would have to do. And if you don't pay the money back, you just owe taxes on the money that you took back over that three-year period or the, 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 the of the money you took out. It's always nice to flub. Anyway, uh, she continues, uh, they don't know whether they should just scrimp and save to make up for the lost retirement if they cannot pay it back. She goes on to say, my husband is not much into financial advisors, so I'm hoping for some guidance myself to be sure we are doing smart things. Thanks in advance for any advice, references, assurance you can offer best, Nikki. Dame, I think one of the issues here that we need to address is this idea that sometimes when um, you're in a jam like this and you have to make an emergency break glass in case of emergency decision, that you have to understand whether or not you have solved the problem at hand by making that decision. If you have not, then any behavior change you have going forward to then just pick up where you left off isn't going to work. It's akin to when people pay off credit card debt with a mortgage refi or borrowed money or a bonus, yet they haven't treated the problem that caused the credit card debt. They end up in a worse position. And so that's where I'd begin on this one, Damien. Yes, retirement has been set back by $70,000, frankly, hundreds of thousands of dollars, because that 70000 would have turned into hundreds of thousands by the time this young 40s couple's retired. Uh, but Dame, I, I think it's a bigger issue. What caused the need for that money? We have to figure out that very thing. If it was something as, I don't want to say simple, but that's what I'm going to use, simple as a job loss, and they weren't prepared with an emergency fund or or something of that nature, something like that could be potentially corrected. Were there a number of uh, payments that needed to be maintained because uh, there there was some potentially um, bad financial choices that were made previously, that could be corrected too. However, to just think that the situation that uh, they find themselves in where they had to take the money out to keep things going, uh, and this may just fix everything, could be potentially misleading for themselves. So you're exactly right. They have to examine how did they get to where they're at and is it sustainable going forward? So once they do that, we can start to figure out if well, if they pay the money back in three years, I mean, that would be amazing, frankly. If, if you can pull that off, 
get that money paid back, that means you weren't living on a big chunk of your income during that time, which means you're going to be set up for long-term success, hopefully, just because of that one fact alone. So you're right on the money on this one, Pete. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I think the great awakening that has happened financially for people during this times, this time is that they've learned they're not as stable as they always assumed they were. Mm-hmm. That because they could make what feel like easy decisions, like, yeah, we can go out to eat. We can afford that. That that made them feel stable. But that, in fact, is not stable. That just means you can go do stuff. You know, a lot of times we talk around here about making tomorrow easier. When good fortune shines on you and you take that and you make today easier by spending it, you, in fact, make moments like this a lot harder. And I, I don't say that judgmentally. I say it observationally. I I hope coming out of this, and I know as an organization, that's what we're working on on very hard, is to help people create sustainable stability that will last them through this period of time. Because I don't know, Dame, how long is this period of time? Is it two more months? Are we talking about two more years? I mean, what do you think? It's prediction time. When are we out of this mess? (laughs) When do things get back to what they were eight months ago? Is that what you're asking me? And never. it's time for a break. Never. No, I'm sorry. I was going to go ahead. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to see that time anytime soon. I, I honestly, I, I think we're going to have a foreseeable future of people ramping up and slowing down and ramping up and slowing down for probably at least the next 12 months. And so we're, we're going to be in the thick of it, having to make some tough, tough decisions, uh, how employers are able to weather the situation over the coming 12 to 18 months is, yet to be seen, unfortunately. So we'll have to figure this out as we go. And I know that's a really horrible answer, but I think it's a really realistic one too. Yeah. What worries me about this particular situation is, and and, I, and this is why I wish people called a helpline like, Hey money or our, our corporate line, your money line, because could we have come up with something different than liquidating $70,000 out of a, of a 401k? Like Dame, I'm going to paint a picture for you and and you tell me if this makes any sense. It's June and you're in the midst of a recession and something has happened that requires you to withdraw $70,000 from your 401k. What, what is it? Because my, my guess here is that they, it's not like their income was massive. And so they have giant living expenses. Something else is going on here that required them to need access to $70,000. What is it? It's a great question. And it's a fair question. And it's, it's one that they've probably wrestled with and probably know the answer to themselves at this point. Uh, it's, it, it frustrates me. And it's, again, this is where we always walk the line of saying, well, you did it wrong. Cause we don't want to say that necessarily, but we want people to know is there possibly could have been an easier way that would have had, you know, less long-term consequences than liquidating a $70,000 retirement account. So coming up after the break, Dame, uh, this whole recession we're in right now will also change the face of lending for years to come. So when we come back, I want to talk about how one bank wants a million dollars worth of collateral in cash. That's all next on the Pete the Planner Show. 
When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show Back on the Pete the Planner Show, Dame, the uh, recession is going to bring uh, some consequences in the economy. And I think that means that banks will start to tighten their lending uh, restrictions, their qualifications, their uh, requirements is the word I was looking for there. So I just kept going with different words until I found the one I wanted. That's how it works. Wells Fargo, for instance, is now requiring new customers to bring at least $1 million in balances if they want to refinance a jumbo mortgage up from a previous level of $250,000, according to people with knowledge of the policy. Okay, so let's begin with what is a jumbo mortgage? Dame, I looked yesterday at the current definition in 2020. It's just over like 515000 or something like that. $515,000 uh, mortgage balance uh, or more would mean that you have what is called a jumbo mortgage. Uh, so there's different requirements because they hold higher risks for banks. I got to be honest, Dame, I didn't know you had to have $250,000 on hand to get a jumbo mortgage. That was news to me. A uh, jumbo mortgage with $250,000 uh, available. That was a little surprising. And you think, well, you know, it's a mortgage over 515, I think you said $1,000. That's a lot of money. But then you think about our friends on the coasts, who are just trying to buy an, a nice, very small, single-family home, $515,000 mortgage is just about anything uh, in California and LA. So trying to tell those people they need a million dollars for a jumbo mortgage from Wells Fargo, they essentially just price themselves out of the market. Yeah, I think I think a lot of lending is going to change. Um, you know, uh, personal finance expert, Susie Orman said this week that she felt that the housing market is going to get beat up because, and you shouldn't buy a home right now. This is according to Susie Orman, because people will default. A bunch of people are about to default and get foreclosed upon. And then that will instantly sink uh, property values down to the bank sale level. And therefore it's a bad idea to, to do that right now. Um, and she also think that will t- that will tighten lending. I can't say I agree with Ms. Orman on this one because I don't really think we're going. If my neighbor gets foreclosed upon and his house goes at bank sale for a hundred thousand dollars, that doesn't mean my house is now worth a hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't work that way. Um, but but I think things are going to change here for a couple years. I don't know how they're not going to. We're we're far enough down this trail that. There aren't too many levers you can pull to have things work out just the way we're all used to. So what Susie was kind of referring to, why she thinks people are going to start being foreclosed on is because of things that we've talked about on the show a few times. The The PPP money is going to run out at the end of the month and businesses are going to have to face running their business again without the uh, assistance of that those funds that they've had sitting aside or being used to maintain their business. So they may have to make some really tough decisions. And if they can't make it, they're going to have to close. And if they close, people aren't getting paychecks, obviously. And they're going to have to make some really tough personal financial decisions. And that may mean, well, housing decisions too. So Susie uh, is thinking a, a few steps ahead of the game, which I encourage. 
and it could very well come true, but we hope not, right? Can I make a a comment that I'm going to regret? Please. I've always felt this way. When a bank says no to you, your initial reaction is to fight through the no, get them to say yes, and or find a bank that will give you the yes you want. That's, you know, stick-to-itiveness. That's grit. That's all those sorts of things. But honestly, if someone who's in the business of making money when they let you borrow money says, nah, we're good, dog. It's generally a bad idea to to ignore that no till you get to a yes. I think you're going to get into a lot of trouble there. Can I add on to that comment that we mo- both might regret this in the future? Oh, wait, I don't. Let, let me just put you on the screen alone. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, like you said, if people who make, <laughs> make the, uh, decisions as a career on who they give money to, that's an indicator that you may not want to do that. However, if you think about how easy it's been relatively easy, it's been for the majority of people to get loans in the past couple decades, and they're still telling, you, no, you really need to take that into advisement. It's, it's not something that you need to be happy with, but it may indicate that there's some work that needs to be done there so that you can get that mortgage. So take it for what it is, reevaluate, talk to somebody, somebody else that can put a fresh set of eyes on all your stuff and say, where am I going wrong? Get things turned around and you know, make it work so you can go back and get that money. Americans hate hearing no. I mean, there, there's idioms in, in our language. You don't take no for an answer. I mean, people hate hearing no. That's why credit cards are popular. And they've been credit popular since the 1950s is because if you tell a consumer, no, you can't afford it. What they hear is you're not good enough for this, or, you know, this is not accessible to you. And, and that is frustrating. And, and look, I know at times in my life when I feel a perceived no, I try to make it a yes, even in spite of the fact that that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, honestly, Dame, heartburn is a no. (laughs) You know, it's like, hey, um, what you're putting down your face hole really is not working out for me down here. But I'm just like, you're fine. Have a Tom's. I want another beer. Like that is fighting through the no to get to the yes that I want. And it is part of our culture. And I'm not, why am I doing what I'm about to do? Is the mask debate not that? Is it not that people are hearing no? And so they, they don't, I don't take no for an answer. I can do what I want. Don't you think that's part of this? Part of it. I think part of it certainly is. I think there's also a a great number of people who um, genuinely feel infringed upon. I'm not going to go much further than that on this topic. But uh, there, there is part of that. There's, we take no's really, really personally in America, unless you are in a sales position and where you are used to being told no constantly. And even then uh, you're being told no in a business setting. If you're being told no personally, I think that's different. But if you're able to dissociate uh, what you're asking for and you as an individual, I think you can accept no's a lot easier. Uh, you agree? Well, that's also part of the argument of privilege right now is that there's a certain part of this of society that doesn't get no's all the time. And and so as as adversity hits and they're hearing no, 
they're losing their mind and they're finding that they feel like they're being discriminated against when in fact they're not. They're just hearing. No, you know what this moment needs more than anything right now, Dame? A great jingle. When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show So much better. It's so good. I turned it up so it sounds even better now. All right, everybody, listen, you can watch the live version of the show on Fridays at noon Eastern on the Pete the Planner Facebook page or the Pete Planner Twitter account, or the Pete Planner YouTube page, or if you're in my house, which please don't, because I want to social distance from you. You can also catch the show, of course, on our radio affiliates and the podcast by going to PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Dame, after the break, we're going to come back with biggest waste of money of the week. And for our live audience here that is uh, alongside of us uh, digitally streaming this, they're going to get, for the first time ever, going to get to see the biggest waste of money of week item. And so I'm pretty excited about that. Dane, we also have more Robin hood news that we need to cover. The uh, popular trading platform Robin hood has run into some really weird issues and they've had to make changes at their headquarters, physical changes oh. because of some of the harsh realities of what people are experiencing via their platform, whether it's their fault or not. Dame, this was a weird news week. I feel like we've got like 30 news items to cover. They're all strange. And we're going to cover all of them next alongside of biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. When you've only so much income and so many bills and your problems are so bad, they are vanquishing your thrills. Listen up close. There's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner show. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is a blue chicken. That's right, a blue chicken. Dame, it turns out that you can buy a blue chicken and it's very expensive. The blue-skinned silky chicken Thought to date all the way back to the Han Dynasty in 206 BC, the Silky is a unique, flavorful Asian breed of chicken. While the meat is white, both the skin and the bones of the birds are a dark blue, giving them a distinct look. These specific Silkies are sourced from a small family farm in New York and flash frozen to ensure they'll arrive fresh, ready to cook and enjoy. For a 2.25 or 2.5 pound chicken dame do you know how much it costs to buy a silky do you know uh i'm gonna guess uh 15 bucks the answer for this blue chicken if you're watching right now on the live stream on a friday is 30 dollars for a two pound blue chicken so it's 15 bucks a pound dame that is why it is the biggest waste of money of the week that thing looks like it's been around since 205 BC in the Han Dynasty. That it's not palatable. I actually would love to try one. I'm a little bit of a gourmand. Yeah. All right, Dame. Uh, so a lot of news this week about who got PPP loans and who didn't. And a lot of shaming going on in just about every industry 
around PPP loans. I was on uh, Money with Friends with friend of the show, Joe Saul Sihai, also host of Stacking Benjamins. And we had this conversation about PPP loans. Should financial advisors have gotten PPP loans? Should Tom Brady's sportswear company or protein shake company have gotten a PPP loan? Should Floyd Mayweather, the the money team, should they have gotten a PPP check? And I got to be honest, Dame, I'm not bothered by anyone that got PPP funds because they were theoretically trying to save jobs. Yes, there was fraud. And yes, people, some people did it in the spirit of greed, like the Wendy's franchise franchisee owner in Idaho who took a million of his $5 million PPP loan to buy a house. But Dame, I, I don't think it's worth shaming anyone who took PPP loans in an effort to save jobs when they were terrified they would have to ruin people's financial lives. That's what it comes down to is that businesses operate differently than a person's individual finances, at least in, in the vast majority of cases. Uh, the individual should absolutely be prepared for whatever befalls them financially. However, some businesses just aren't structured to have a bunch of cash set in the bank. And if they do, and invoices fluctuate and the payments on those invoices fluctuate and there's the best run business in the world may not be able to control when they get paid by their by their customers and so if they think that they need to get some cash to make sure that their people still have jobs i'm not going to judge them for that i'll just say this as the owner of a business with several employees there were a, and i don't want anyone playing a violin for me here but there were a lot of sleepless nights, like truly I'm, I'm being uh, literal here, not figurative, where you just think, what, what is going to happen to all of these families that I feel responsible for? And it's not because we were struggling. It's because, very frankly, you know, we're in an industry where we, we're doing fine when, when people are able to pay their invoices on time because they were paid by their clients and those clients were paid by their clients. It is a chain of money. It is a cash flow situation. And so, you know, you worry about those things as an owner. And I'll also say, Dame, it's not like a company, like you said, that has, you know, receives a lot of their fees in the fall or or the, the winter. It's not like they could just go to a bank and get a typical loan because there was tons of reports how banks weren't doing any other loan underwriting other than the SBA PPP loans. And so, look, I I think there's too much shame in our country anyway. I'm not going to shame anyone for taking a PPP loan. It may seem distasteful to some people on the face of it, but the PPP loans were a vital tool to try and keep some semblance of our economy moving. And if uh, if a business owner thought they needed it, then I'm going to just give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and if it turns out that they were you know, trying to commit some fraud, then they'll pay for it later. The Eagles, Pearl Jam, Guns N' Roses all received PPP funds. But here's the thing. It's not like, uh, you know, Axl Rose. Oh, wait, did I say Guns N' Roses? I did. It's not like Axl Rose necessarily was, you know, getting all the money. It's their crew and their their team. It's a team of people. Um, I don't know. I, I feel, I mean, this is not a hot, fresh take, but everyone's so outraged about everything. I don't think you got to be outraged about business owners trying to save jobs. I, I know even then you're like, well, Tom Brady's a millionaire and he wears Uggs and I don't like his haircut. Look, I know. I, I, I agree with all those takes. But the idea that he was trying to save jobs by taking PPP loans, we're not going to shame him. Good for him for stepping up and doing something that's scary and that he's going to catch criticism for. 
to help try to save people's jobs. Yeah. Dame, you sent me a story this week that's still, every time I read a story like this, it bothers me, but Robinhood, the popular, whatever, day trading platform for amateur investors, uh, reportedly installed bulletproof glass after numerous frustrated traders kept showing up at their offices. Uh, for those that are regular listeners of our show, they will know that just a couple weeks ago, we had a story about a young man who took his own life when he misunderstood some major options trading, major uh, margin trading on his account. He thought he owed $750,000 he didn't have. So he took his own life. And that was through Robinhood. Robinhood tends to gamify their platform, making it feel like a video poker game. And so it creates a lot of weird psychological issues. Dame, at what point are we going to look back on this Robinhood thing and, and have to really assign a lot of blame to Robinhood? Are we I've there? Been, I've been rolling this around in my head a lot lately. I I like the concept of be, people being able to be in charge of their, their finances and if they want to invest on their own without incurring some of the costs that you may in other places or without uh, having to pay an advisor, so be it. However, there are very real consequences that can come with that. If you start getting your, your feet into uh, a pool that you just don't know how deep it goes, if you don't know that uh, you know options trading is really tricky and really dangerous and you start messing around with options, you're going to put yourself potentially in a world of trouble. So I love the idea of people being able to be in charge of their financial ship if they understand the consequences. I mean, if, if you told people they had to take a modified Series 7 test to be able to trade options on Robinhood, what do you think would happen, Pete? Well, I think they'd fail it the first time like I did. <laughs> I I freely admit that I failed the Series 7 exam. I believe it was in May of 2000. I was a, about to graduate from Hanover College in Southern Indiana. I'd gotten my job, and as part of that job, I needed a Series 7. This is during final senior um, exams and all this stuff, and I failed by a couple points, I think. Went and took it again a month later and passed. But, man, it's sort of weird when you're a personal finance expert and you used to manage a hundred million dollars and people listen to you about money and you have to tell them that you failed an exam. I don't have too much shame in that. That's good. We just said that there's too much shame and you should just be, be comfortable with who you are in your own skin, Pete. Damn. I did not read the story you sent me, but I read the high, high, the <clears throat> headlines as people in the biz call it. Uh, there's a college campus for sale, 155 acre college campus. Wh what college? I think it was uh, green mountain in Vermont. If I remember correctly, uh, it's been up for sale for a while, I think. And the previous asking price was $20 million and there were no takers. So they decided they're going to auction it off. And the lowest, uh, starting bid that you can submit is $3 million to have your own 140 some acre college campus. So if you are, uh, looking for that ultimate side hustle and you want to start a college or a university, well, there you go. We got, you got some property in, uh, in Vermont, beautiful area. 22 impressive buildings, 447,000 square feet total, $3 million minimum bid. Wow. You know, it feels like Tyler Perry's just going to buy it and make it a movie set. Hey, that's all we have time for this week. Sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. 
When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete The Planner Show